Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me in the Betters Box. This is ATS.io's MLB betting podcast for Monday, April 12th. I'm your host, Adam Burke. Flying solo here with these Major League Baseball betting shows on the Betters Box. Lots of great information coming your way on Mondays and Thursdays with that. On Tuesdays, I'll be joined by Brian Blessing from Sports Grid Radio. We'll talk about golf, NASCAR, uh, horse racing, all sorts of different things. But going forward here now with the podcast, doing the Monday, Thursday editions here of the Betters Box, like I said, on Tuesdays then with Brian. Got a daily article every day over at ATS.io for you to check out with my thoughts on the baseball betting card. You can email me if you want to get on the list here for the Betters Box show notes, skatingtripods at gmail.com. It'll help you follow along as you listen to the show, help you review some of the things that I talk about on the podcast. Because look, I know how podcasts work. You listen to them at the gym, you listen to them in the car, you listen to them on the go, when you're out for a run, whatever it is that you're doing. And I talk about a lot of numbers and a lot of different stuff here on the betters box. So if you want to follow along with the notes for the show or just review them after you've listened, maybe take a second listen, something like that, you can hit me up, skatingtripods at gmail.com to get on the list for the show notes. Along with my daily MLB article over at ATS.io, a lot of other good content as well. I'm still covering golf, NASCAR, UFC, doing my situational betting articles for the NBA and the NHL, taking an extended look at the schedule, kind of looking for some betting opportunities as a result of that. We got picks and predictions across all of the sports that are still going on right now. State-by-state pages talking about what's going on in those states, sportsbook reviews, uh, daily and weekly promotions that are going on out there in the legal U.S. sports betting industry. Lots of great content over at the website for you to check out. If you don't want to check it out on the website, well, you can use the ATS app, which you can download from the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. It's a bet tracker, an odd screen, a stats database. You can subscribe to the premium model in there if you want. But also, that is the exclusive place to track my picks from the daily article. You can follow me in the ATS app. I'm Skating Tripods. You can download that from the Google Play Store or the Apple Store and start using that today. All right, so we'll go with the traditional format here for the betters box. We'll take a look beyond the box score, then take a look down the lines, kind of recap and talk about some line movements that we saw over the weekend. I'll give you some picks along the way there when I recap those line moves, a sabermetric stat of the show, and then finally, a preview of three series here for the week ahead. So some things for you to kind of take a look at, keep an eye on as these games are being played. So we start with a look beyond the box score here. And something that I talked about on last Thursday's show was that we've seen an increase in high velocity contact, but we have seen a decrease in the results on that high velocity contact. So I'll probably do this on just about every show here, at least early on in the season before everything settles in a little bit to talk about the results on the high velocity contact. And as of last week, we were at 485 for the batting average on batted balls of 95 plus miles per hour and 589 on batted balls of 100 plus miles per hour. Well, after the weekend's worth of games here, we're now at 486 on the batting average of 95 plus mile per hour batted balls with a 609 weighted on base average. And the batting average on batted balls of 100-plus has gone up two points from 589 to 591 with a 771 
Woba, again, weighted on base average. My favorite serometric stat, and one I talked about previously on the show here. But again, something to remember is that high-velocity contact is not yielding the same results that it usually does. When we look back at 2020, the batting average on batted balls of 95-plus miles per hour was 510, now only 486. Batting average on batted balls of 100-plus miles per hour was 608, now sitting 591. And these are down even more significantly from 2019, where it was 539 on 95-plus, 634 on 100-plus. So one of the adjustments I have had to make so far this season is that high-velocity contact, while still obviously much better than weak contact, is not yielding the same level of positive results for this season. And with that in mind, run scoring down this year, 4.65 runs per game last year, 4.54 this year. Now, again, could have something to do with April, with the weather in the month of April and all of that. But I just think quite simply between shifts and also less carry on the baseball, more drag on the baseball to keep it from going as far, to keep it from carrying, and also to slow it down en route to the fielders. I do think that across the board, high-velocity contact will not be rewarded as much this season. And as a result, run scoring will be down overall. So 4.65 runs per game on a team basis last year down to 4.54 for this season for each team on average. So that means we're looking at about you know a drop of 0.2 runs per game so far uh, based on what we've seen with the early returns. Again, it could all change. The baseball could change over the course of the season. We've certainly seen that before uh, with Rob Manfred and his tenure as commissioner. But again, just simply to say that it looks as though offense will be down. And once again, I think offense will be down for teams that predominantly hit a lot of fly balls. So those are adjustments I've had to make here very early on in the season and things that I will continue to follow. Now on Thursday's show last week, I talked about the bottom five in weighted on base average, also extended that out to the bottom 10. So last week, the bottom five were the Brewers, Braves, A's, Cubs, and Orioles in that order. Well, this week, the bottom five is the A's, Cubs, Marlins, Tigers, and Brewers. So the Brewers move up a few spots here. The A's and Cubs move down a couple of spots. The Marlins go from being the seventh lowest to now being the third lowest. And the Tigers now make an appearance there. And there are a couple of reasons I want to talk about this. The first is to say that the Diamondbacks, who had the sixth lowest Woba last Thursday, are now 15th in Woba. And the Rays, who had the eighth lowest Woba, are now up to the 13th best weighted on base average. So this shows the volatility of small sample sizes. So that's one thing that I wanted to illustrate is that while I'm trying to make some definitive conclusions about the baseball, because we've got a large sample size of high velocity contact so far, on a team level, you don't want to make too many sweeping generalizations early on in the season because these sample sizes are small. They're very volatile. So what's going to happen is that you get a good weekend out of a team, And all of a sudden, like the Rays, who go from, what is that, 24th in Woba up to 13th, just from one good weekend? Well, that's what's going to happen here in Major League Baseball. So keep that in mind, is that you're going to see a lot of volatility with the stats, with the rankings of where these teams are 
in certain statistical categories and all of that. Don't read too much into what you've seen from nine or 10 games of these teams. League-wide things, sure, the sample sizes are pretty big for that. And also exit velocity does reach a point of stabilization pretty low. So that's something where we will see higher velocity contact. And I'm confident enough to make that projection here for this season. But with individual teams, things will be open to a lot of variance, a lot of volatility early on in the season. So keep that in mind. The league home run to fly ball percentage up 0.4% from what it was on Thursday. So a big weekend in the power department. Had some pretty decent weather around Major League Baseball here so far. So maybe that's part of it. Uh, Maybe hitters just kind of getting their timing down a little bit. A lot of factors kind of feed into some of these different small sample size statistics early on in the season. But again, everything will kind of stabilize, will kind of smooth out. And probably relatively quickly, I would say. I think points of stabilization may actually be a little bit lower than they used to be, just simply because of the nature of all the all the content, all the statistics that we have where we can look at a lot of these different macro and micro trends, kind of see them playing out in real time. And a lot of people doing a lot of great work on the projection side nowadays too, to where I think we've got a pretty good idea of what we're going to have on a macro level, on a league-wide level, but with the individual teams, things will be open to a lot of fluctuations. That brings me to something I want to talk about today here regarding left on base percentage. And left on base percentage is a very important statistic for me on an individual level, but also on a team level. And by individual level, I'm talking about starting pitchers specifically, where left on base percentage is a statistic that never reaches a point of significance. It is, over the course of a season, always open to interpretation and variance. So it will go up, it will go down. But one of the things that is true even early in the season here, is that significant extreme outliers will regress to the mean faster than a lot of other teams. So when you look at some outliers here from a starting pitching standpoint in left on base percentage, we start with the Tampa Bay Rays. Their left on base percentage as a rotation right now is 58.6%. And as I've mentioned before, Left on base percentage typically falls with an average around 71 to 72%, maybe a little bit higher in this current environment with a lot of strikeouts and all of that. But you don't have to be a math genius. You don't have to know all of the formulas and all of that to know that a team's left on base percentage at 58.6%, if the league average is around 72%, positive regression is coming for that. So the Rays are off to a very unlucky start here. They're not getting a lot of strikeouts from their starting pitchers, which is something that can enhance your left on base percentage because strikeouts are virtually guaranteed outs. But their starting pitchers have a 341 batting average on balls in play against. So the Rays have gotten very unlucky in terms of stranding runners with their starting pitchers here so far. So I would expect, even though their guys aren't pitching all that well right now, that's just going to be open to some natural positive regression so I would expect the Rays to be in better shape as we go forward here that's something that I do think will stabilize relatively quickly for them similarly another big outlier here the Los Angeles Angels at 63.2 percent again when when something when the league average is in the 70 percent range 70 to 72 percent and you've got these significant outliers one way or the other 
We're just looking for positive regression. We don't know when it'll happen necessarily, but we know it will get better. So that's something where for me, I kind of start looking at Tampa Bay and saying, okay, maybe they're a little bit of a play on team, at least maybe a play unders team, something like that. I think the Angels are a better example because they don't have the same injury issues that Tampa Bay currently has, but the Angels rotation will get better and should get better in pretty short order here as some of their luck factors kind of stabilize a little bit. And for left on base percentage, there are a lot of things that come into play. How good is the defense? How high is the strikeout rate? Stuff like that. But extreme outliers, one way or the other, that suggests a high degree of good luck or bad luck. So if you're on the wrong side of this, like the Rays and the Angels are so far, like the Nationals are at 64.7%, those are all teams that I think should improve in pretty short order. Now on the flip side of that equation, the San Diego Padres, as a starting staff, their left on base percentage right now, 89.1%. That will not continue. There is no doubt in my mind that that will not continue. 89.1% is entirely too high. Their starters right now allowing a 229 batting average on balls in play. The Indians are second, 83.9%. They're allowing a 205 batting average on balls in play. The Jays at 79%, the Giants at 78.4, and the Brewers at 77.9. So how can I say with such a degree of confidence that these stats are open to regression? Well, last year, the highest left on base, per, or excuse me, in 2019, in fact, going all the way back to the last full season that we had. In 2019, the highest left on base percentage for starting rotations was 77.2%. So right now, we've got five teams above that. That will not continue. The lowest was 66.6%. So when you look at the significant outliers, like the Padres and the Indians on the plus side, and the Rays, and the Angels on the negative side, that's going to be cases where we will see regression to the mean. And keep in mind here, too, the Indians have played six of their eight games against the Tigers. The Tigers are not a good offensive team. The Indians now face the White Sox for four games, so we could very well see that left-on-base percentage regress in a negative way in very short order. So we are talking about really small sample sizes here. But what I'm trying to do is drill into your minds that if you've got extreme outliers, and I will talk about things further down the line, like team batting average on high velocity contact. If you have extreme outliers, regression to the mean is all but guaranteed. So that's what I'm trying to get in your minds here. When you start looking at increased sample sizes and you see something that's just way off the mark, it should ring alarm bells in your head. So that's why I'm doing this early on in the season. These things are open to, as I mentioned already, a lot of volatility, a lot of variance, but just to illustrate that extremes will come back to the pack. So that's why I'm looking at it early on in the process here where, yeah, you could sit there and say, okay, Adam, this isn't super actionable. It's not super predictive because sample sizes are small, but that's wrong. It is predictive because any extreme will come back to the mean. And that's something you want to keep in mind on an individual level and also on a team level here as we go forward. And similarly, bullpens, right? In 2019, the highest left on base percentage for a bullpen, 77.6%. The lowest, 67.3%. 
So in a given season, the difference between the team with the highest left on base percentage as a relief unit and the lowest is probably going to be around 10 or 11%. So if you've got a team that's way high or a team that's way low, that will come back to the pack. And that could be something that is actionable for you in a betting context. We look at the teams here with the lowest left on base percentages from their bullpen so far. The Mets, 53.1%. That will get better. Tigers, 59%. That will get better. Pirates, 60.2%. That will get better. Rays, 60.9%. That will get better. White Sox, 62.9%. That will get better. Twins, 63.2%. That will get better. Four of those six bullpens actually have pretty high strikeout percentages as well to the point where they should fare a little bit better because strikeout percentage is a big factor in left on base percentage simply because you don't have that variance of batted balls in play as often. But the Mets, for example, here, 53.1% left on base percentage, their bullpen allowing a 381 batting average on balls in play. That is not going to continue. If we look at the other side here, the Padres, yet again, 96.7% with their left on base percentage. That is almost 20% higher than the highest number in 2019. That will come down. Cubs, 89.5% will come down. Braves, 82.9% will come down. Royals, 81.2. Indians, 80.8. All of those will come down. So what does that mean for us? Well, for one thing, as I said, it illustrates how the extreme outliers should be the ones expected to regress to the mean the quickest. These are things that will not continue. They're just too far out of the range to continue. And second, with a team like San Diego here, for example, right? They're stranding a ridiculously high percentage of runners. It won't continue. So you either start looking to fade the Padres a little bit or looking to bet overs in their games where maybe their offense continues to play well, but their pitching staff does not have as much luck in terms of stranding runners. So these are things that you can look to play on. Some actionable info. Again, it's early. The sample sizes are small. But even if this only works for a three or five game sample, something like that, you should be able to make money off of some of these things. So for example, when the Padres face a good offense again, I will be betting overs or fading the Padres in those games just because their left on base percentage luck will not continue. And left on base percentage means stranding runners. It means runs that don't score. When those things regress to the mean, it means you are giving up runs. So those are things I do take a very close look at in terms of looking for that positive or negative regression and the expectation of those things. So just some food for thought there. And again, sample size is still pretty small. I will grant you that. But simply to say that when you start looking through some of these stats and some of these metrics, the most extreme of the outliers will regress either positively or negatively. And that will be a big part of my handicapping once we get deeper into the season here, when we start talking about sample sizes in May and June and July and August and those big key four months of the season, I will be looking at a lot of these different things. So that's why I'm planting the seeds in your mind now to try and look for these things, to sort by those column headers on fan graphs or baseball reference or wherever else and start looking for some of these things yourself. Because what I want to do, my goal with this show is to share information 
that will allow you to see these things for yourself. And left on base percentage outliers on the low end means they're allowing far more runs than they should. And on the high end means they're not allowing as many runs as they should. And those are things that we can use to our advantage as the season goes along here in terms of trying to pick winners. So I'm just trying to plant these seeds in your mind so that you can start looking for these things yourself or know exactly what I'm talking about when I get to these things down the line, when the sample sizes are a little bit bigger. One of the things that I really highlighted in the 2020 season on the betters box and also in my written content uh, over at ATS.io was that the platoon advantage is largely dead. Left-handed batters are not having anywhere near the same level of success against right-handed pitchers that they previously did. And when you think about Major League Baseball over the last 10 years or so, this was something that a lot of teams utilized. Something that the Oakland A's were very groundbreaking in terms of doing that. You know, the money ball generation kind of cobbling together good players by using these platoon advantages to your advantage, for lack of a better term. Having a guy that hits righties really well and a guy that hits lefties really well and using them in a timeshare kind of thing. You saw this a lot with quarter outfielders and first basemen and designated hitters and stuff like that. Well, the problem is between shifts and different ways of pitching, different pitch usage, this is no longer an advantage for teams. And there are some teams that still utilize platoon advantages a lot. The Indians, Diamondbacks, Pirates, Uh, The Cubs are a team that uses this quite a bit as well. But the problem is, it's just not as productive as it used to be. Left-handed batters used to hit right-handed pitchers really, really well. I mean, it was a significant advantage for those types of players and for the teams that did decide to utilize them. It's not an advantage anymore. And so the left-handed batters against right-handed pitchers, which used to be a game-by-game betting angle for me, with pitchers that had significant platoon splits, it really isn't anymore. It's an adjustment that I've had to make to take that out of my handicapping toolbox. And when you look at what's happening so far here this season, left-handed batters against right-handed pitchers are batting 228. They hit 239 in 2020. And if we go back to 2010, that was the lowest batting average by 12 points. Lefties had a 251 batting average against righties in 2018, and that was the lowest in that sample going back to 2010. Now we're talking about 228. We're talking about a 23-point difference from where it was in 2018 and even an 11-point difference from where it was in 2020. 315 weighted on base average for left-handed batters against right-handed pitchers. That's tied for the lowest all-time which is back in 2014. Last year, it was 318. That was the second lowest going back to 2010. And the WRC plus, weighted runs created plus. You don't need to know the formula. All you need to know about WRC plus is that 100 is league average. Last year, for the first time ever, left-handed batters were collectively below league average offensively against right-handed pitchers. And we're talking about something that used to be at least 5 to 10% above league average. Now it's not even an advantage at all. So left-handed batters against right-handed pitchers are not an advantage anymore. So when you look at teams that utilize that a lot, 
they are going to struggle offensively. The Brewers, the Indians, the Pirates, the Diamondbacks. A lot of those teams were bottom five or close to it in a lot of offensive categories last season. And that's even with the highest walk rate ever last year for left-handed batters against right-handed pitchers. And we're on track to set another record high for this season. But also, strikeout percentage for left-handed batters against right-handed pitchers also looking to be a uh, an all-time high. So this has a lot to do with the scoring decrease as well. And so if you're looking at right-handed pitchers and you're looking at their platoon splits, and a lot of people do this in a daily fantasy context or just in a betting context, it's not worth it anymore. Home road splits, okay, fine. A lot of park factor things come into play. But if you've got a right-handed pitcher that used to struggle against left-handed batters, that may not be a thing anymore with shifts and different ways of attacking hitters. So this was a huge development last season, something I've really keyed in on quite a bit. When you look at batting average on balls in play, left-handed batters against right-handed pitchers are now down to 270, a 270 batting average on balls in play for something that just used to be such a massive advantage for teams. And now it's almost a net negative. Actually, it is a net negative in terms of WRC+. So just something I wanted to bring your attention to here, where if you think that a bunch of left-handed batters against a right-handed pitcher is an automatic advantage, that is not the case anymore. And it used to be it used to be automatic. It used to be looking at right-handed pitchers and going, okay, this guy's going to struggle today because he's facing all these left-handed batters. That's not the case anymore. So again... One of the things I try to do here with this show is kind of challenge conventional ways of looking at baseball, of analyzing the stats, of analyzing the matchups. And I think a lot of people just kind of take for granted. Oh, lefties are going to hit righties. They're not. They don't do that anymore. Sure, there are individual players that still do it. But collectively, league-wide, left-handed batters no longer have an advantage over right-handed pitchers. So if that's something that's been a big part of your handicapping in the past, it shouldn't be anymore. And it was for me. And it took me probably a season to a season and a half to really realize that this was going on and to see what was happening beginning with 2018 and then going through 2019 and, of course, 2020. It took me a long time to find this. Maybe you're just hearing about it for the first time today. But it is a very significant development and something that we'll have a dramatic impact around the league as we go forward here. Something that already is having a dramatic impact around the league. So just something for you to keep in mind there. Again, I know I went through a lot of numbers, a lot of different concepts. That's why subscribing to the notes, skatingtripods at gmail.com, a really good idea for you as you listen to the show or as you kind of review the data uh, from what I talked about on the podcast. With that, we move into the down the line segment here and Take a look at some line moves dating back to Friday, of course, doing the betters box Monday, Thursday. So I usually go back to the last day after the show to talk about some of these line moves here. And on Friday, we saw a big Rockies fade. That was Austin Gomber and Johnny Cueto. And the Giants actually took money in all three games of this series against the Rockies. So a few things to consider. The first The Rockies are going to get faded on the road. They are a bad offensive team. They're a bad pitching staff. They're a bad everything. So when they're not at Coors Field, where maybe the offense plays up a little bit, they will probably get bet against. Second, the Giants are off to a little bit of a slow start, or at least they were, until they swept the Rockies in that series. 
The Giants may be a little bit of a play-on team, and more specifically, a play-on team at home, where Oracle Park last year played really well for the Giants, really well offensively. Wouldn't shock me if we see some line movements on the Giants in their home games, although with that being said, we are seeing Reds money today with Wade Miley against Aaron Sanchez. Maybe a fade of Sanchez leads me to believe that maybe it's just a Rockies fade in general on the road, but the Giants did take money in all three of the games in that series and did reward betters by winning all three of them as well. Walker Bueller took money on Friday for the Dodgers. That was against Joe Ross and the Nationals. And I just want to point you in this direction that elite pitchers take money almost every day. Walker Bueller, Garrett Cole, Shane Bieber, Jacob deGrom, you know, all these guys that are elite starting pitchers, their lines go up 10 to 15 to 20 cents on the overnights every single time they pitch. And maybe there's some buyback late and stuff like that. But these elite pitchers take money every time their names are on the board to start. So just something for you to keep in mind here, where if you want to bet on an elite guy, a DeGrom, a Bieber, um, you know, I don't know, maybe Lucas Giolito gets to that point this year, uh, you know, uh, Bueller, Bauer, these different types of guys that are out there, they take money every time they pitch. And it's usually very quick. It's usually right after the line opens. It goes up 15 or 20 cents, something like that. And then, of course, we kind of see if there's buyback. But just to bring that to your attention here, where these elite-level starting pitchers are going to take money. So if you know that DeGrom is pitching and you figure you want to bet the Mets, just do it. Just do it right away. Get your line value. Decide if you want to play back and kind of cancel out that bet, play back for part, something like that. But if you know an ace is on the mound, a true elite level Cy Young caliber ace, money's coming in on that guy. And we've even seen Aaron Nola get steamed a couple times here so far. Guys like that too that, you know, are, are kind of in that second tier of the aces. A lot of times money's coming in on them too. So, Just to throw that out there, you know, if if you're going to bet an elite starting pitcher, you've got to do it quickly because that line will run out 10, 15, 20, 25, sometimes even more cents based on the overnight number. Like I said, on Saturday, the Giants took money again. Uh, The Angels took some money. Jose Quintana against Steven Matz down in Florida at at, uh, TD Ballpark in Dunedin. Uh, I think the Angels may take a lot of money against lefties here for this season. Quintana was terrible. Mats was pretty good. That game was rain-delayed, started very, very late. Uh, but Quintana was not good in that one. But I do think the Angels against lefties will be something we see. And I just talked about how the platoon advantage for left-handed batters against right-handed pitchers does not exist. Righties against lefties still does exist. And in fact, with righties against lefties, if you've got a team full of right-handed batters, we've seen some line moves on teams like the A's, teams like the Angels, teams like the White Sox, against left-handed starting pitchers, that will probably continue. So that is something I would look to watch as we go forward here. Something that was interesting is that Joe Musgrove took money against the Rangers for the Padres on Friday, but Chris Paddock did not. And furthermore, it was against Jordan Lyles, and the market almost always fades Jordan Lyles. You'll usually see 10 to 15 cent moves against Jordan Lyles anytime he pitches. We didn't see that on Saturday with Chris Paddock and the Padres were victorious in that game and Paddock pitched okay. But I think the market is way, way, way down on Chris Paddock. The market does not want to bet that guy. So even though the line didn't move in that game, 
sometimes the lines that don't move also tell you a lot. And this told me a lot because Jordan Lyles is a guy the market bets against with regularity. It doesn't matter who he's facing almost, but it didn't happen on Saturday. And that tells me that there are a lot of people in that quant and modeling crowd that do not like Chris Paddock. So keep an eye out for that as we go forward here, where maybe Paddock is the guy that we kind of fade from that Padres starting rotation, especially as I talked about already, where they do have some natural regression built in to what they've been able to do so far in terms of stranding runners. JT Brubaker took money for the Pirates against the Cubs on Sunday. That was Trevor Williams going for the Cubs, who actually pitched really, really well in his first start, less well in his second start. I think the market kind of likes Brubaker in the same way that I do. Also a fade of Williams here in this one, but keep an eye out for that. As I look at the Pirates, the only starting pitcher I'm going to back right now is JT Brubaker. And it looks like a lot of other sentiment is out there in the marketplace just like that. So that'll be something for you to keep in mind in that one. I talked about how the Giants took money in all three games against the Rockies. That was even a slight fade of Herman Marquez on Sunday. And Marquez for the Rockies is a guy that has phenomenal road splits. He is not great at home. And that's not really his fault. His BABIP is about 80 points higher at home than it is on the road. But a little bit surprising to see Anthony DiSclefani money come in against Marquez with those good road splits. Again, speaks to either some love for the Giants, but probably more accurately, a fade of the Rockies on the road. On Sunday, we saw money come in on Max Scherzer and the Nationals against Clayton Kershaw. We also saw money come in on Saturday in game two of that series with Patrick Corbin and Julio Urias. I don't think that the market realizes how bad the Nationals are. I'm down on the Nationals quite a bit. I thought about taking Urias when that line dropped on Saturday, but I got tied up doing some stuff, got kind of busy and all of that. But I do think that Corbin and Scherzer will probably continue to take some money for Washington, and I don't think that either one of them should. I think the Nationals are a pretty bad team this year. I really do believe that to be the case. And by pretty bad, I mean, you know, around a 500 team, which is certainly bad by their standards. But I think the market is kind of overvaluing them a little bit, and in particular, overvaluing Corbin and Scherzer. So just watch out for that, where I think I may end up having some plays against those two guys as we go forward here throughout this season. Lastly, here on Sunday, we saw some Drew Smiley money come in for the Braves. That was a fade of Matt Moore, I think. I think a lot of betters are going to pick on Matt Moore. They're going to fade the Phillies in Matt Moore's starts, especially if the Phillies keep playing really well and it kind of keeps their prices in check when a guy like Moore is on the mound. But we did see that and, you know, obviously some shenanigans at the end of that Phillies and Braves game. But I don't think Matt Moore is viewed in a very positive light here in the betting markets. Or maybe people don't expect the Phillies to keep playing well. Personally, I do. I, I bet them to win the NL East. I bet their season win total over. I like the Phillies coming into this season. I'm not surprised to see how well they've played, but I do think there will be an anti-market or an anti-sentiment in the marketplace on Matt Moore as we go forward here. As we take a look at Monday, you Darvish, another one of those elite level starting pitchers. Well, he's taking money here today for the Padres against the Pirates. Continued fade of the Pirates. That's been pretty frequent, as I said, except for Brubaker on the mound. But once again, elite level starter, that line's moving. So if you want to bet that guy, get in front of it because that line will be on the go as more betting action comes in. 
Seeing money on Sandy Alcantara today against the Braves. That's the Marlins and the Braves there. Uh, the Braves sending out Huascar Enoa in that one. Look, Alcantara, I think it's Alcantara. I think it might be Alcantara. I'll get it right one of these shows. But money's come in on him quite frequently over the last year and a half. I might bet the Braves at this point. It's nothing against him or anything like that. But, you know, he's a contact management guy. And the Braves make so much violent contact. I may take Atlanta as the day goes along. They were not a pick in the article where I did have five plays for today, but I may end up betting the Braves now that this line has come down a little bit against the Marlins. Seeing St. Louis money against the Nationals and against Nick Fetty, or Eric Fetty, Nick Fetty, Eric Fetty, whatever, whatever the hell his name is, he's not a good enough Major League pitcher. So I agree with this line move here today. Did bet the over in that game, over in St. Louis and Washington. John Gant on the hill for the Cardinals. Gant, a guy converting back to a starting role for the first time since 2018. Kind of a limited arsenal. Velocity's down a good bit, having to start now. So I figure I'll take a shot on the Nationals offense in that one, but also look to fade Fetty. Uh, I think fading Fetty is something that will happen a lot here uh, throughout the course of this season. So there's something for you to keep in mind. The Orioles, a flipped favorite today against the Seattle Mariners. That's Justice Sheffield. Actually pitched really well last year. In the short sample, Dean Kramer going for the Orioles in that one. Not really a big surprise to see a fade of the Mariners. I don't think people really like the Mariners, and neither do I. But the Orioles uh, in a favorite role here today, and they have taken some of that sharper investment in the betting markets. Saw some Rangers investment here today against the Rays, and I actually agree with this one. We saw some early money on Tyler Glass now, and we've since seen the buyback of the Rangers in the betting markets. And I'm taking a shot on the Rangers tonight, honestly. This is one of my picks for tonight where I really like Dane Dunning. I think Dane Dunning is very good. The Rays have significant injury problems with their bullpen. They have six guys on the injured list that would be in their bullpen right now. So they're trying to cobble things together. It was a big reason why I faded them on Sunday, got that late winner with the Yankees. If Dunning can cancel out Glass now, and I think it's a possibility, I will take a chance. On that Texas bullpen, in that plus 185, plus 190 range against the Rays bullpen, I will take that chance tonight. So that is a play that I have for tonight, along with the over in that St. Louis and Washington game, and some other plays in the daily article over at ATS.io as well. Sabermetric stat of the show for you today is XFIP, expected fielding independent pitching. So XFIP and FIP, are two things that can be catalysts for line moves. This is something that started maybe five, six years ago where I really took notice of it, where if you had that ERA and FIP discrepancy, a high ERA and a low FIP and even a low XFIP, money would come in on that guy with the expectation of positive regression. If you had a low ERA, high FIP, and specifically a high XFIP, money would come in against that guy. So the four components of FIP, are strikeouts, walks, hit-by-pitches, and home runs. The four components of XFIP are strikeouts, walks, hit-by-pitches, and then a home run rate adjusted to the league average home run per fly ball percentage. So basically, XFIP is FIP, but a measure of how many home runs a pitcher should have given up based on the league average home run to fly ball percentage. Here's why I'm telling you about this stat today. 
I don't use this stat at all anymore. I used to use it, and it was a hallmark of my handicapping, and then StatCast came along. And I also decided that, look, there are some pitchers who simply will not post a league average home run to fly ball percentage, and it's stupid to think that they will. There are some guys that just have command. They just don't give up home runs. Brad Keller, Kyle Hendricks, guys like that, they just don't give up home runs. They have above average to elite level command. So why should I penalize a pitcher expecting him to give up a certain number of home runs because that's what the league average is? That ain't going to fly with me. So I'm mostly telling you about XFIP because I think we can ignore it. I don't think it's a good stat. I don't think it's a descriptive or predictive stat anymore because we've got better data. We've got the StatCast data to tell us, look, you know what? Okay, fine. League average home run to fly ball percentage, right? Well, a lot of home runs are on high exit velocity contact. They're on barreled balls. High velocity contact, 95 plus miles per hour. Well, if I've got a pitcher whose average exit velocity is 86 miles per hour and his hard hit rate is 28%, why should I expect that guy to give up the same number of home runs as a guy who's got a hard hit rate of 38% and an average exit velocity of 90 miles per hour? The answer is I shouldn't. So I don't think XFIP is useful at all anymore. I don't think it's a stat that we should consider at all whatsoever. And that may be in the Sabermetric community, kind of a hot take of sorts, but we've got much better descriptors, much better data out there that we can use instead of XFIP because some guys just simply will not post a league average home run to fly ball percentage. And that also goes on the other side too. Some guys have really bad command. The Chris Archers of the world, the Michael Pineda's of the world, guys that have given up a lot of home runs in the past. They're not going to post a league average home run to fly ball percentage because their command's not good enough. So I'm telling you about XFIP to tell you to cross the damn thing out. I don't think it is a useful sabermetric stat anymore. And maybe somebody wants to get in my mentions on Twitter or wants to email me, skatingtripods at gmail.com, and tell me why I'm wrong. That's fine. I'm happy to have a discussion about this. But I think XFIP is just not a valuable statistic anymore and something that I would look to ignore, whereas I don't think enough people do. I think some of the crowd out there that shapes the market from a betting standpoint still looks at XFIP and considers it. I don't think it should be considered at all. So just throwing that out there for you here today on the program. Let's take a look at three series here for a preview of the week ahead. And we start in the American League East with the Yankees and the Jays as they're playing again here. Garrett Cole, Robbie Ray tonight, Jamison Tyon, Hunjin Ryu on Tuesday, Corey Kluber, Ross Stripling on Wednesday. Again, I still want to see how TD Ballpark is lined from a total standpoint. Should see a lot of high velocity contact in this series. Questionable command for Kluber and Stripling in that last game. That could be kind of a launching pad type of game. Uh, Jamison Tyon, good stuff in his first start. Gave up a couple home runs, but struck out seven of the 17 batters that he faced. Good pitch mix. I think the Yankees will optimize that. Maybe I take a high totaled under with Tyon and Ryu on Tuesday. That's a possibility, but I largely want to see how this series is totaled, where we saw 10s and 10 and a halves in the Angels and Jays series Do we maybe see an 11 possibly on Wednesday here with Kluber and Stripling? And what happens with the run scoring in that game? 
I think that'll definitely be something to kind of follow along with there for all of these Jays home games while they're playing down in Florida. The Rangers and the Rays. Dane Dunning, Tyler Glass now tonight. As I said, I did take a piece of the Rangers for tonight's game. Kyle Gibson, Ryan Yarbrough on Tuesday. Kohei Arihara and Rich Hill on Wednesday. And the reason I want to talk about this series is exactly what I just mentioned. The Rays are missing six bullpen arms right now. And bullpen usage is something I always look at. If I'm going to bet full games, I've got to know who's available out there. And the Rays are really trying to cobble this thing together right now. A lot of guys pitching in leverage spots that probably shouldn't. Uh, It's very tough right now for Tampa Bay. And maybe it doesn't matter here in this series against the Rangers, who are not a good team at all. But I think it matters a lot going forward here for Tampa Bay, where if they're going to be in close games, their bullpen is no longer the positive that it usually is. It's quite possibly a negative. And furthermore, Rich Hill's been bad. Chris Archer's hurt again now. Michael Waka has been terrible. Tyler Glasnow is always an injury risk. Ryan Yarbrough, a guy that they don't really let work through the lineup a ton. It's very concerning to me right now with Tampa Bay. They've got to find some length. They've got to find some innings somewhere. And I think this Tampa Bay team could be up against it here for the next little while. Maybe offensively, they kind of come around a little bit. But on the pitching side, they've got massive, enormous concerns as we go forward here. So that's something for you to keep in mind where they're going to have some big favorite roles, specifically in this series against a bad Rangers team. I don't know if they're worth it. I don't know if I would lay big favorite prices with the Rays here anytime soon because it's very tough for them to find enough innings right now with their starting staff and with a bullpen that is just in complete and utter shambles right now. Wednesday, Ari Hara pitching for the Ra- or for the Rangers here. And in his first start, the Royals were one for eight the first time through with a double and a walk, five for nine the second time through. Well, in his start against the uh, Padres on Friday, one that was overshadowed by the Musgrove no-hitter, against Ari Hara the first time through, one for eight with a walk and a double. The second time through, four for eight with a couple doubles, a couple singles. Uh, ha Sung Kim hit into a double play with men in scoring position to end the inning. But Ari Hara is good the first time through and not good the second time through. And that's two starts now. And that's something I would just expect to continue. I mean, it's a big learning curve going from Japan to the major leagues, pitching possibly twice a week now, which is something that they don't do in the NPB. Ari Hara is a guy, I think it's a live betting angle we can look to take advantage of, where maybe games start slow, but when he turns that lineup over, things will be very dicey for him. So keep an eye out for that, where I think that's something that we can absolutely take advantage of in his starts. And he will pitch on Wednesday against Tampa Bay. So maybe a live over. Uh, I may bet the full game over with Ari Hara and Hill in that one, but just something for you to keep an eye on there. Anytime Ari Hara pitches, good the first time through, really struggling the second time through. Lastly here, the Indians and the White Sox. Remember, the White Sox were 18-2 and against the Tigers and Royals last season. They struggled a lot offensively when they faced good teams, and in particular, when they faced the Indians. Now, I don't like looking at this often. I don't like looking at team versus team splits. Usually the sample size isn't big enough. The players change. The players adjust this and that. But the White Sox last season against the Indians, they batted 206 with a 255 on base and a 355 slugging. And the reason I bring this up is because I've talked about this a lot 
uh, last season and also in the guide this season that right-handers with above-average stuff can shut down the Chicago lineup. Now, they've gotten a little bit more balance with Adam Eaton and Yasmani Grandal and some of the switch hitters they have and all of that. But righties with above-average stuff will shut them down because a lot of their key offensive pieces are right-handed batters. You think about Abreu and Luis Robert and, and, you know, Eloy Jimenez when he's out there and Tim Anderson when he's out there. But, of course, he's hurt right now. This is something I've looked at and something I have had success with going against the White Sox when they face righties with above-average stuff. Well, in this series, they get Tristan McKenzie, probably piggybacked by Cal Quantrill today, Shane Bieber tomorrow, Zach Plesak Wednesday, and Aaron Savali on Thursday. All guys with above-average command, above-average stuff. I think this White Sox offense struggles in this series. They've got Carlos Rodon tonight, Lucas Giolito tomorrow, who the Indians cannot hit. Dallas Keuchel Wednesday, Lance Lynn on Thursday. I would not be surprised if all four of these games go under the total. I already took under eight and a half tonight in the McKenzie and Rodon game. Tomorrow, Bieber and Giolito might even be a total of seven, probably seven and a half under juice. Could even be a seven there in that one. I'd expect that one to go under, even though Bieber struggled a little bit here at the outset. Plesak and Keuchel, maybe that's your over game, possibly. I don't think the Indians really hit Lance Lynn on Thursday. I don't know if the White Sox hit Aaron Savale. I would not be shocked if all four of these games go under in this Indians-White Sox series. So I'm not playing the over in any of them, but... I think if you bet the under and all four, you probably go three and one, maybe four and oh here. Could be wrong. Could see these two offenses break out, but I don't think the Indians touch Giolito at all. They never do. They are a horrific lineup against changeups. They cannot hit them. So Giolito matches up really good with the Indians. We know Bieber matches up well with just about everybody. So not looking for a lot of run scoring on the South side in this series here between the Indians and the White Sox. Lastly, just a general macro thing to look at here. A lot of pitchers making their third starts this week. Uh, guys will start to settle in a little bit. Sample sizes will start to get a little bit bigger. Strikeouts and walk rates stabilize quickly. Batted ball types, ground ball, fly ball, line drive, those stabilize pretty quickly. Exit velocity stabilizes pretty quickly as well. So we're going to start to get some sample sizes that are going to kind of get there. And that will be something I talk about as the month of April goes along. And of course, as we get into the month of May as well. We'll see if I do the betters box on Thursday. The next couple of weeks, I've got a lot going on here. So we'll be a little bit touch and go with the shows. I'll try to do them. They'll probably be shorter in nature uh, if I can do them. But got some stuff going on. Got some prior commitments. So uh, I'll do the best I can to get shows out. Hopefully get them out, you know, in a timely fashion, stuff like that. Probably be a little bit shorter uh, throughout the month of April here. And the article will be shorter throughout the month of April going forward as well. But uh, hopefully things will kind of get back on track once we get into the month of May. We'll be back on Tuesday with Brian Blessing. We'll talk golf. We'll talk NASCAR. We'll talk a few other things. NHL trade deadline is today, so I'm sure we'll talk about that as well. But again, if you want to get on the list for the notes, skatingtripods at gmail.com. You get the podcast notes. And of course, make sure you check out the daily article with a lot of great insight analysis and information as well. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And remember that you will never strike out when you're in the betters box.